So this is a big Shabbat for me because we have reached the end of Leviticus. Woohoo! That's it. That's the whole sermon. We've read the end of Leviticus. Chazak, chazak, v'nit chazek. Shabbat shalom. Goodbye. As you know, it's not my favorite book of the Torah. There's a lot of blood and guts. But I'm mostly kidding. I, I hope that as you have seen over the last few months, as we've made our way through this book of sacrifices and priestly garb, skin afflictions and sanctification rituals, that there's always something to be gained from Torah, from trying to apply the lessons and the challenges therein to our lives. And here, in these last two chapters that make up the final portion of Bechukotai, we are once again tasked with that sacred endeavor of making meaning from what on the surface appears to be a pretty challenging text. We've already been focusing in our service on that last chapter of Leviticus, which details all the ways that one might make a vow to give a gift to God or to service in the sanctuary. Now, I'd like to look at the second to last chapter, Leviticus 27, which develops some ideas that Deuteronomy will pick back up with a vengeance. We might call these affectionately the if-thens. If you follow all my rules, then I will reward you with abundance and security and the destruction of your enemies. If you don't follow my rules, then, boy, are you in trouble. <laughs> For the parents in the room, this tactic might feel familiar, maybe even useful at times. And certainly, admonitions to follow the rules have their time and place. But for any of us who have lived in the messy uncertainty of the real world, we know that a theology of reward and punishment, such as the one laid out in this portion, offers very little comfort in the face of life as it is. How can we possibly reconcile this passage of our Torah and the passages that will follow with the day we find out that the biggest mensch in our office has been diagnosed with cancer? or the time our sweet, hard-working high school senior is rejected outright from their dream school, or the moments when those who take the cheap ways out, the petty or lazy or cruel paths, seem to prosper as we do our best to do the right thing and find ourselves falling short. My typical way of dealing with chapters such as these has been to remind myself that the God of the Torah is only a sliver of the fullness of who God might be. Sometimes Torah offers us a theology that resonates and glimmers, and sometimes it speaks only to the understandings of its time. I intellectualize the problem away by reminding myself of the importance of free will and of tzimtzum, God's ability to make space for us as human beings to create our own worlds. I read Why Bad Things Happen to Good People by Rabbi Lawrence Kushner, and I distance myself from this God of if-then. But for some reason, this year, 
As I read the familiar passages of Bechukotai, I was struck by the biblical God in a different way. I noticed that God does not just introduce one section of rewards and one section of punishments with one big if and one big then. Rather, God repeats the negative if and then over and over again, each time seeming to escalate the punishments. First, it's favor, fleeing from one's enemies. And then God says, if for all that you do not obey me. Then there's desolation of the land. And then again, if for all that you remain hostile toward me and refuse to obey me, then wild beasts. And a fourth time, if you don't listen to me for all that, and finally a fifth, culminating in eating your own children, in exile, in complete and utter destruction. The language that God uses, if you remain hostile, despite all that, in the Hebrew is, v'halachtem imi b'keri. This chapter is the only place in the entire Hebrew Bible that that phrase appears. It seems to me that out of fear, God has fabricated a type of rebellion that has never been and never will be. I realized that perhaps this is not an angry God we are seeing, not a punishing God, but a vulnerable one. A God who is so afraid of broken relationship and broken promises that the what-ifs keep coming and the stakes keep rising. How many of us have had the experience of dreaming that somebody hurt you, even if they didn't do it in real life? And then your subconscious is so vivid that you see them the next day at work or on the golf course or in the pickup line at school, and you feel immediately hostile to them, even though they never did anything to you. It was just a dream. Or maybe it's not even in a dream. It's just our anxieties taking hold of our imaginations and running wild. We picture all the ways that other people could hurt us if they don't listen to us, if they don't abide by our rules. Then, then, then what? And the vulnerability, so raw and frightening, makes us expect the worst, makes us closed off and bitter, even cruel. At times, our fears drive us to believe that the safest course of action is to present the hardened, punishing versions of ourselves, rather than leave our soft parts exposed. And here, I think, in Bechukotai, we see a God going through the exact same thing. Literary notables and political figures alike have made their attempts to articulate an antidote to this kind of fear in vulnerability. The only thing we have to fear is fear itself, FDR. Courage is resistance to fear, mastery of fear, not absence of fear, Mark Twain. The courage to be vulnerable is not about winning or losing, it's about the courage to show up when you can't predict or control the outcome. Brene Brown. 
We hear from well-meaning others that the opposite of fear is strength, or the opposite of fear is love, or the opposite of fear is curiosity. But in this case, the Torah seems to offer a different opposite of fear, memory. For after God's litany of blistering punishments, the fog seems to lift, the dream state begins to dissipate, and God declares, I will remember my covenant. The remedy for our vulnerability to the fear that others will break our rules, cross our boundaries, rupture our connections, is the ability to remember the ability to remember that we are in relationship with one another. And that relationship, not our fears, is what dictates our reality. So just as God is able to do in our portion, I pray that this Shabbat brings you the ability to remember your own goodness despite your fear. May you remember that you have strength a glorious mixture of humanity and divinity that shapes you and shapes the one who shapes us all. May you remember the times that you have felt true connection with other people so that you might be open to that connection even if you are scared. And may you find comfort in knowing that even God, source of all, can find a path back to kindness and compassion through bitterness and vulnerability. As God can do, so can you. Remember who you love despite your fears. Remember who loves you despite theirs. Remember who you are, vulnerable and raw, human and divine.